On this week's The Koi Gig Podcast, we had an exclusive interview with Manchester United's Ona Barrier. With those crowds and that pressure, I just love it. Listen now and make sure you subscribe to The Koi Gig Podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Off the ball. This is News Talk. All right, you're welcome back. It is Thursdays off the ball. Nathan with you. They're underway at Old Trafford. Manchester United nil, Chelsea nil. Four minutes gone. Chelsea just had a big opportunity to go in front. A ball played in from the left-hand side and Mudrick was about eight yards out. I think a United defender might have got the slightest of touches just to take the ball away from him. Uh, but it was a big opportunity gone, a begging. I remember, a point for Manchester United either tonight or on Sunday will be enough for them to secure Champions League football for next season. Uh, Lots more to come on that on the football show after nine o'clock. So there's been a lot of debate, I think, uh, to put it mildly, about Carol Kane's article in the Irish News this week that Crow Park are set to clamp down and bring sanctions against those involved in providing any form of competition for players under the age of 12. The association has reminded counties that there is no facility under association rule for any competitive aspect within these games. It added that any or all of the keeping, recording or publishing of scores, competitions, blitzes or events that involve knockout stages and are issuing of winners or runners-up medals, trophies, awards or prizes. Uh, to talk about this, I am uh, joined on the line by Dr. Kate Kirby, who is Head of Psychology at the Sport Ireland Institute and the Irish Olympic team. Kate is also the psycho- uh, Psychology Representative on the Gaelic Games National Sports Science Working Group and also Pat Daly, the GEA Director of Organisational Culture, Planning and Development and the former GEA Director of Games Development and Research and very much a driving force in the implementation of Go Games. Kate, Pat, thanks a lot for joining us. Hi, Nathan. Uh, Pat, just to get us started, because uh, a lot of this surrounds Go Games and uh, what that is all about. Can you talk to us about how Go Games came about, how it was implemented, and uh, maybe any of the issues you came up against at the time when you were trying to bring Go Games in? Yeah, it goes back about 20 years, uh, Nathan Malonga, uh, when a lot of people were suggesting we weren't doing enough to uh, include as many people as possible. And that primarily came down to the format of style competitions that we had for young players, which were a mirror reflection of what you saw at adult level. They tended to be championships, and the best players were selected for those competitions, and the rest were more or less forgotten. So in around 204 we introduced the Go Games. On the back of significant research that was conducted by Noel McCaffrey, father of Jack and former Dublin footballer, Professor Noel Moyne and DCU and lots of others and we were satisfied that the time had come to uh, get a model up and running that was grounded in player development. We had a player development pathway but it's, it's a bit of a contradiction in terms to have a, a player development pathway at child level with the focus on winning, because that leads to exclusion. And where you have exclusion, you cannot necessarily talk about development. So the emphasis was under it was under eight, 10 and 12 at that stage when they were originally introduced. That was subsequently changed under seven, nine, 11. But the emphasis very much was on every kid getting a goal for the entire game. The big attraction for kids uh, in any sport and in every game is that they get to play the game. 
there's no attraction in sitting down and being the substitute. And I suppose I would have seen if at first hand with my own kids when they were growing up, would have gone to games in Meath and uh, living in Ratawatwim and the population was growing here at the time. And we might have had 10 or 15 subs at games who got no game. And uh, it was totally counterproductive and totally at variance with what we needed to be doing as an organisation. So that's the background to it, including uh, ensuring kids are participating in the game and the person is at the centre of development process. Uh, in other words, we go from a person to a participant to a player to a performer, and we are developing the person right through. So this missive that went out from the GEA this week, um, as we say, clamping down on providing any form of competition for players under the age of 12, what are they referring to? I think the competition is a misnomer, Nathan, and that's where the problem is really. Uh, because when kids play in the schoolyard, uh, when they play in the backyard, wherever kids play, there is competition. Everything is, 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 is competitive. The critical issue here is it developmental. And if, it, if the results count and if the thing is premised on winning, the chances are it's not nearly, it won't be nearly as developmental as it should be. And that is the issue here. And I think it's it's basically a lot of it comes down to semantics. And we're talking about uh, providing kids with developmental opportunities as the, uh, that are competitive, but where the result doesn't matter. That's in essence, that's the essence of what we're talking about. Kate, what about the argument that every child is different that goes down to a GEA club and some players go down there for the crack they want to spend time with their friends they couldn't really care less about what the result is at the end of the week they just want to have a good time but there are other kids who are desperate to win who want to push themselves who want to develop their skills quickly who have great ambitions of what they could do in the game and are they being met in a world where there is no official winner and loser at the end of the day? Yeah, look, I think uh, people are competitive by nature and they will find ways to express that competitiveness in the yard with their pals in the park in go games and there's nothing stopping them from trying to win and wanting to win but it's the reinforcement of the value of winning and being the most important thing that becomes problematic over time and we know there's loads and loads of research around you know overemphasis on outcomes winning at all costs creating pressure and anxiety just leads to dropout high dropout rates in young athletes and for particularly competitive athletes who give it all at too early an age I see time and time again drop out and burn out at the late teens, early 20 stages where it's just become too much. Um, I think that the philosophy of the Go Games around retention of players uh, and not streaming them, uh, retaining as many players as, as possible for as long as possible in as enjoyable an environment as possible. Also, and um, gives credit to the fact that talent ID is notoriously inaccurate. So you're streaming players at under 12, you're losing players who may just be late, later developers or because of relative age effect, don't have the advantage over their peers. So, you know, it's, it's a, a fallacy to assume that if you stream players and bring in competition for those competitive athletes that you're getting the best ones, that's never the case. I, an argument I've seen put forward um, a lot over the last couple of days is that losing builds resilience and that we're bringing up a generation who we're not letting lose there's no difference between winning and losing and therefore uh, to use the obvious quote they're growing up as snowflakes um 
I don't know any 10, 11 year old child who walks off the pitch and is oblivious to whether they've won or lost the match. Um, they'll still experience disappointment and they'll still experience elation. But um, if it's highlighted on a week-to-week basis on a league uh, table, then the consequences are magnified of winning and also the, the despondency of losing, which isn't necessarily a great thing. Um, but also, the, the, the at that age, participating in sport, the, the reward is the experience. It should be the fun, the enjoyment, the time spent with your friends, the development of skills. If it turns into the pursuit of trophies and medals, then it becomes an extrinsic reward, which actually takes away from the joy and the love of the game itself. So it ends up being counterproductive where people think they're motivating young kids, but actually having controlling external rewards ends up often making it less enjoyable. Are eight, nine, ten-year-olds, Kate, are they they mature enough? Are they ready to learn resilience from losing at that age? Um, Well, one of the issues is that they're not many adults. So when there's an outcome, like they're heavily beaten or they win you know, relatively easily, it's very hard for them to determine the reason that happened. Is it because of their amazing talent? Is it because of a strategy? Is it because of luck? Is it because they just worked harder? Um, So if you have a player who attributes a loss to a lack of ability, that's pretty demotivating. Um, And for an under 12 athlete, often they do make incorrect attributions. It's just too complex a a reasoning skill for them to have developed. Um, And likewise, someone who wins all the time, if they attribute that to effort as opposed to ability, that also leads to not great consequences because as soon as they stop winning, they just give up because they don't see any other way way to get out of that cycle of losing if they believe it's because of, of ability. Pat, has player retention improved as a result of goal games? Yeah, what, what has happened, I think, Adam, yes, up to the age of 12, very definitely, we've seen uh, huge increases in participatory levels. The trajectory after 12 is not great, it tends to be downwards. I think a lot of it is because the uh, developmental pathway doesn't continue. Now, it's something that hasn't been referenced over the last week, or I haven't seen it referenced. Dara Sheldon, who's now head of high performance with the IRFU, as I understand it, and he worked in Australia or in New Zealand under that title as well. A number of years ago, he was completing a, a PhD research uh, with Sterling University, and um, we had a look at what we call super games, which would be the youth version of gold games. And the fundamental principle there was kids would go to a center, they would get a wristband, yellow, red, green and blue, and then they would rotate through four pitches and they would get an opportunity to play in four games. And Dara said to me at the time, the the response from uh, parents wasn't terribly positive, from coaches was extremely negative. And I said, what's the response from the kids? They loved them. They love the idea of super games, just going to play uh, in a a semi-formal setup where they got the opportunity to participate in four games. And we tried to structure it 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So we got two-year age cohorts, starting with seven through to 17, that we had a pathway for people who wanted to play. Uh, Super Games, uh, it was hugely successful when it was tried by Charlie Harrison down at the Connacht Centre of Excellence before COVID kicked in. And it, it is kind of 
it hasn't picked up momentum since. But I think it needs to, we need to look at the child youth in, interface. You come into our system at seven, this is what we do, and this is the type of person we talk about producing at 17, on the back of this approach to introducing them to Gaelic games. Uh, we don't have a developmental pathway, we just have an ultra-competitive pathway. That's all. If you don't fit in too bad, you fall out. And would Super Games go alongside that? Would you still have the competitive pathway from under 13 up, but for those players who actually just want to come along and almost have a version of five-a-side soccer where you can pitch up of an evening and have a bit of crack with your mates, but you don't need to make the long-term commitment to, as it is now, training probably three times a week, is that the form that Super Games would take on, or would it be a continuation of goal games where actually every player is in Super Games? No, well, the idea is that uh, the, the system we, uh, you kind of uh, applied online, you went to the centre, centre knew how many kids they were going to be accommodating and they could assign them to the pitches. But the principle was you got a game, you rotated through four, through four pitches. You didn't necessarily know who was going to be on the, the field with you. So you could be with kids from other clubs, uh, not necessarily your own kids. In the go-game scenario, you're more than, you are going to be with the kids from your own club. Uh, that's how that's configured uh, for lots of other reasons. But um, at Super Games level, the idea is you went to a centre, you go to a Super Games centre, and then the pitches are set up, and you get assigned to a pitch depending on your blue, red, green, or whatever colour, and uh, you play and you participate in four games. But as I say, the, re the response from parents wasn't hugely enthusiastic, coaches very negative, and kids extremely positive. And why was the response from parents? Uh, did you do any research into why the parents weren't keen? I think some parents, not all parents. It's it's very it's it's unfair to generalise, Nathan. But uh, some parents kind of vicariously live their lives through their kids. And if the kids are not winning, if they're not on the best team, that tends to be a disappointment for them. Uh, and I think you know the the uh, that was that was the source of disappointment. Plus the fact that they have been they're used to the, the competitive culture. You're playing with a team against an, an, an opposing team. So this was different to that. So it's different to get buy-in for something like that. But if you want to talk about player development, I think you have to look at it in its broadest context and you have to provide pathways of that nature. And people can say they're uncompetitive, they're non-competitive. You're providing uh, opportunities for participants to play and that's what they want. And they won't necessarily get enough of those through the competitive scenario. And we found is it, a million kids have participated in cold camps since 206, another huge success, trying to cater for those numbers when you move on to 14 and 15. And the bigger clubs automatically will have the dispensive clubs. I've seen it in Rathout myself, kids fall by the, by the wayside because the opportunities are not there for them to play in the competitive scenario. We've been talking about this uh, quite a lot over the last couple of days and they said it's getting a huge response uh, throughout the day and even again this evening on text. Uh, this morning on OTBAM, Jer and Shane were joined by GEA development coach Pork MacDonald and also the Irish Times columnist Jen Hogan. Uh, here's just a snippet of that conversation from this morning's chat about the cause and the solution, I guess, of a lot of these problems, which are the parents and the coaches. This argument has been framed completely wrong. It's a gross misunderstanding of the whole point. Of course, games are competitive. Like, 
uh, who is it that there's two flies? Oh, Anthony Nash is like, uh, you know, two flies going to, I'm competitive about it. Everybody's competitive about it. Mm. The kids are all competitive about it. They know when they win or lose the games and they're keeping score themselves. But the whole point is that what you're trying to do is to get the most people play the most amount of sport for as long as possible. Not to have like a winning culture at the under 10s yeah, yeah. who are killing, God, they're like absolute killers and screw you, next club over, Shelbyville, you're a bunch of losers. And also, if you're not in the first team, screw you, you're not getting any game time. There are, there are kids who are going to training and then who go to matches and don't play any minutes in the game because dickhead coach wants to win and take home the, yeah, we crush the opposition. Yeah, well, that's a separate problem, isn't no, it? No, it's not a separate problem. It's, it's the actual specific problem that they're addressing. Well, give, give that's the, the whole point. That's the whole point of the Go Games is that you don't have the competition. You don't keep a track record and stats and data because you can't trust coaches. You can't. You can't, you can't trust uh, people not to get carried away with the desire to be, oh, I'm Jose Mourinho on the sideline. And I have to say, I thought that that was the kind of tone from a lot of people. Well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm great. I'm like, oh, okay, granted you are. But like, it turns out most people aren't. I, do you know, I think it's maybe they're reliving their youth. Maybe that's what they want. Or they want to, they want to see themselves as this wonderful manager and, you know, um, bask in the glory of success. And, and I mean, look, there is, we're inherently, I suppose, there's a degree of competitiveness in us all. Everybody likes to win. Children like to win too, but, but it's more about fun and it should always be about fun. And the, the, I suppose the goal should always be about keeping as many included and as many playing for as long as possible. That should be the goal. But I think when it comes to grown-ups, they forget they're dealing with children. And I've seen, I mean, only last week as a parent, I was on the sideline and I saw incredible behaviour. It wasn't my coach, I'll have to have to say our coach is deadly, but um, I did see incredible behaviour on the sidelines and, I, and it was hard to believe that the, the coach was roaring at kids the way he was roaring at kids. And it, it moves over then onto the pitch and you see it with the children. They're picking up on this vibe. So it's really, it's a really important thing that it is reined in and that the parents do realise this is kids, this is children. It's about fun. It's about keeping as many involved for as long as possible. Uh, Kate, sideline behaviour is probably a whole other conversation that we could spend an hour at uh, some evening. Coaches' impact on children is maybe something that coaches don't think about enough. Um, no, I, like, I think the, the philosophy and, and knowledge around coaching kids has evolved so much since um, we were taught coached ourselves as kids and I see a lot of um, parents now coaching young kids over coaching and being way too directive and way too explicit in their instructions and not as inclined to allow implicit learning and free play and let players make mistakes um, so that's definitely something I've observed where it's um, almost imposing too much structure and too much rigidity at a young age um, but then also there's the emotional control aspect of the coaching which is definitely problematic you know we've seen loads and loads of stories of, of adults who should know better you know losing their temper on the sideline and that makes it an unenjoyable experience for all concerned for players for coaches for other um, spectators so um, it's yeah you know for for people to get that riled up about a, a kids game of sport which should be there as a development opportunity for young kids to enjoy is it, it kind of beggars belief that people can really lose the run of themselves to that extent from what you've seen Kate how different are children's needs when they come in and start playing goal games at under 8 to when they leave and start uh, I'm trying to think of the direct uh, correct terminology competitive uh, games at under 13 uh, in terms of what they want from training from coaches from being a part of a club 
Um, I think they still want a lot of the same things. Like they want to have social support. They want to have an opportunity to develop. They want to spend time with their friends. Um, but they're at the point where they can understand that um, they're they're at the agency of their own progression as well. They start to take more personal responsibility for their development. Um, and, uh, you know, at that age, again, p- players should be encouraged to ask questions and to have a bit of autonomy and input into their development, which players at the goal game level probably aren't ready for yet. Pat, I, I do feel that if you were to get 100 kids and you were to throw them out in a pitch and you said there's a trophy and there's 10 medals for a winning team, they'd probably just sort it out themselves and pick 10 teams and everybody would have a good game and there'd be no worry about who played or anything like that. Am I right with that sense? And is it is it the adults who are uh, causing the issues here? Yeah, they would be one of the chief contributory factors in, in Atom. Um, and unfortunately, if you could get the adults, I think there's a requirement for some education here. If you could get the education, the adults to look at why is this happening? Why are kids playing sport? Uh, as distinct from any other feature. And what do we want them to be able to do? And for me, the key benchmark in terms of coaching effectiveness at child level, are the kids able to play on the left and right hand side of their body? In other words, have they got the basic skills, if that's what you want to call it, or technical proficiency, if you want another term? Have they got technical proficiency? And if they have, and it's not a free a free spin for coaches, if, if they have to develop techni- technical proficiency and do it through the medium of the game. Mickey Whelan has done a PhD study, and Mickey has a, a famous he said, do you play the piano? Yes. Do you want to be good at playing the piano? I do. We'll play the piano. Do you play the game? Do you want to become good at playing the game? Well, play the game. And I think the challenge for coach, effective coaches then is to ensure kids get the opportunity to play the game with the emphasis on developing bilateral coordination, not the ability to perform on the left and right-hand side. And that's the challenge for us as educators to ensure coaches can do that, that they want to do it, and that ultimately kids are beneficiaries of that type of coaching. So that's just the coach education piece? Yeah, that's essential. I think education is essential because, you know, inevitably you have to keep repeating the message because you have a fair amount of children with, with coaches as well and you have new parents coming into the system and they might necessarily know what the previous person knew. But I think if, the, if, if people are clear about the why, if clubs and schools are clear about the why, why are we doing this? Why are we playing Gaelic games? Is it an end in itself? And I don't think it is. Or is it a means to another end, a bigger end? And I think it, in a community context in terms of the development of people biologically, psychologically, sociologically. And I think that's what the raison the tray underpinning the whole system is. And we tend to get sucked into short-term winning, losing, and that kind of thing to the detriment of, of the overall scenario. I'm interested in what you spoke about earlier of um, you know the players when they get to under 13 then, and that's a real pressure point as they move to another stage of life, quite often move school, maybe have a separation of friends. There's a natural falling out of sport at that stage. It, it does feel that some clubs are maybe just getting so big now, they just need a little bit of churn, that they just don't have the space, they just don't have the coaches, they just don't have the time for the amount of players that are coming through when you have you know clubs with... Uh, 60, 70, 120 kids maybe at some clubs coming in at six years of age. Yeah, but look, that's 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 a major issue. That inevitably you just can't cater for them. And even if the club could cater, the competition format isn't there. 
you know, you'll have A and B competitions. And then when it goes to C, ah, well, nobody wants the C team. Nobody wants to take the C team. And I know from my own experience, I took a team in Red Hole and at under 14, 15, 16 and 17, mine was under 18 at the time, we won no game. We played a year up. So the under 14s played under 15 Division 4 and we won no game in three years. But the kids kept coming and they backbone the first team to win a minor championship in, in Red Rose and have been part of the senior team in recent years that have won three senior championships. So for me, it was all about ensuring that they were provided with playing opportunities and the focus was on development as distinct from winning. Uh, but there are people who don't agree with that. But I think if you put the person at the centre of the process, if you look at the person's needs, you inevitably will finish up in that space. Kate, what are your thoughts on where coach education is right now in the GEA? Um, well, as part of that uh, Gaelic Games um, Sports Science Working Group, a lot of the, I suppose, our, our modus operandi was similar to the pathway, which is retention of players and holistic and healthy development of players, not getting too elite too soon. So, uh, like a lot of our philosophy around the, the foundational stages and the talent development stages is that the information should be delivered by the coaches, but backed by sports science education. So, we're not advocating for bringing in nutritionists and psychologists to talk to 12 and 13 year old players we're saying that um, the good practice should be rooted in good theoretically grounded coach education and the, the coach should be the facilitator of that healthy and holistic development of the players under their care uh, Pat, what do you think is next then in terms of whether it's super games, uh, if there was a resistance to goal games, and by the sounds of it, there's quite a bit of resistance to that. What next steps are in place to try and maintain and keep players in GAA after the age of 12, 13? Yeah, well, that's a, as I say, I think the Super Games has phenomenal potential. And increasingly, I think at that level, in terms of autonomy and in terms of sense of agency, you'd be asking players to take responsibility for themselves for the event themselves. So that uh, you'd have a young referee involved in the Super Games and they would, it would be more or less self-regulated activity. And uh, if you have a value set and if you want players to espouse that, I think... It will be possible to enshrine it in something like the goal game uh, in the super games it's going to be so much harder in a, in a competitive culture because people generally do what has always been done in that culture and if you get as you as as was said earlier on this morning if you get shouting and roaring and screeching uh, as part of the culture inevitably that will continue but i have still you know i've been around a long time and i've yet to see anybody perform better because somebody shouted at them mm. My understanding is there's no issue here, Pat, with blitzes continuing, that blitzes can still happen. There can, there's just no final at the end of it. So you can have a round-robin series of game between any amount of clubs. Yeah, that's a, absolutely, Ned. Uh, we're, ta- we're, we're talking about providing as many opportunities as, as kids as possible to play, but just forget about the, the winning and the, whatever is associated with that, medals, cups, and, and all that sort of things. Put the person at the centre of the process and ensure their development is foremost. And, you know, co- uh, coaches should be prepared to benchmark themselves on how many kids started, how many did we finish with, what happened in the meantime, and how many of them developed uh, bilateral coordination as distinct from did we win the championship? 
because that's the ultimate measure of effectiveness. They are the ultimate criteria around uh, proper development as distinct from we won the championship. So what? You won the championship. What does that tell us? Uh, I remember being in 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 Wexford a few years ago and at a club and they said we had we were tremendous set up and we won A, B and so on, 14, 16 minor. And I said, Are all those kids over there getting games? No. I said, not sure it's that wonderful. So, you know, if you if you if you're excluding a lot of kids. You know, that should be what you're benchmarking yourself on. Because, as Kay said, ultimately at 12, 13, 14, nobody knows who are the kids that are going to make it to the top. It's just not that simple. Um, recruiting kids at, at that age, you know, the kids who ultimately make it at adult level. John John Considine did a, a fair amount of research in UCC a number of years ago. And he said the correlation between minor and All-Ireland success, senior All-Ireland success, was practically zero. And that's when minor was under 80. Uh, so there was, and we also see outside with the Tony Forrest, which was the under 14 inter county competition that was organized, that is organized in Waterford at the end of um, August every year for the past 30 years. No team that ever won Tony Forrest ever won minor three or four years later. Wow. So again, very poor correlation between winning at that level and uh, subsequent success. Uh, so I think, you know, all of the statistics are there that has. People in the past, you say, have you read Legacy, uh, the, the All Blacks book, and starts with better people make better All Blacks. And I think ultimately, and finally, that is the key criterion, better people make better performance, whether it's in New Zealand or uh, New York or wherever, that's that's the bottom line as I see. Uh, it does seem, Kate, that this uh, mail from Crow Park that was sent around to all the clubs, it's, it's just trying to remove temptation from coaches that uh, for players, for nine, 10, 11 year old kids, it doesn't make a difference to them massively as to whether they lose their goal games match where t- officially the score isn't counted or whether they lose a official game where the score is counted. But that the temptation to make sure that your better players play for longer, that the guy who's coming along to training, but you know, maybe is a bit behind in development that they get the same amount of game time, that that's actually at the root of all this. That's Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, and I, I think there's been a lot of misconception around this directive that you know people should just you know not tackle or not go hard or not try and win or not try and score. That's nonsense. Everyone who steps on the pitch has a you know, or pretty much everyone has a will to win and a desire to win. But it's not making winning the be all and end all around this. And when there's a, a trophy and a knockout, and that makes the driver of all decisions and behaviours and um, the pursuit of winning. Um, and when that's removed from the equation, then people tend to make better decisions around equality of game time um, and rotating players and behaving themselves better on the sideline. Uh, Pat, just before we go, where do schools fit into this? Where is come on the Munskel and all this? That's that's an interesting question, Adam. Um, like I started out as a teacher, uh, and when I went to St. Pat's College, one of the things we were exposed to was a, a child-centered approach to education and development. And it's very much to the fore in in terms of uh, teacher education. And would, one would like to think that it would be a predominant feature of what's happening in that space as well. Uh, but ultimately, that's a matter for coming to Munskull. Um, you know, 
there has been a traditional competitive ethos there of school versus school uh, and that has been to the fore uh, but I know a significant amount of progress has been made at that level in in terms of integrating the goal games ethos into the system but at a time when young people were never under greater pressure um, you know I would appeal to teachers I would have appealed to the coming of months goals to look at the big picture and look at what can be done in a developmental context as distinct from what club, what school wins the competition or whatever all right, great stuff. Uh, we're getting a big response to this. We'll get through some of the text messages in just a few minutes. But uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Dr. Kay Kirby and Pat Daly as well. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah.